There's an old Anglican prayer that says um, to the Lord, what we have not, give us. What we know not, teach us. And what we are not, make us. And this morning, it's my prayer that um, even though I don't jump around the stage and throw tennis balls like Pastor Brady, <laughs> that, that you would just hang tight with me as we look at one of the more popular, well-known passages of Scripture this morning out of Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. Um, I, I appreciate Chloe's prayer because, you know, and many of you know that sometimes I struggle with migraines and, and various things, and the weather, if you have any experience with pain in your body, the weather is not always a lot of fun. So if I sit down, that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm just taking it easy. But I, I do want to ask this, that you would pray that the Spirit would move amongst us. It's not, it's not my words, I hope. It's the Lord working through us, working through me, teaching us all together. And um, so I would just like to continue in the series that Pastor Brady's been doing. The Words of Jesus series has been something that so far we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount. And he's tackled some pretty uh, challenging, if not controversial topics. Topics like lust and really in the end of the day idolatry. Last week he looked at anxiety. Um, we've talked about what it means for Christ to actually have come and fulfilled the law and how confusing and challenging that might be in the world that we live in today. And today is not necessarily controversial, but it is challenging, I would say, to the Christian. It's, it's an important reminder to us that our daily life of prayer is not something that we should just put on the back burner. And uh, so when Jesus gives us the outline of the Lord's Prayer, it's not, it's not just a formula, although it is. And we're going to break it down. If you know me at all, you know that my type A personality says we have to break it down line by line by line, and that's what we're going to do. But I would say that there's more at stake here than just memorizing an outline. When we pray, there is something more important about our relationship with the Lord that makes what we pray more effective more important, more um, enlightening, more relatable with the Lord to whom we pray. And so it's my, my prayer this morning that the scriptures and the Lord's prayer would speak through us, that God would move in us as we uh, share this morning. Um, I don't know that there's any topic quite like prayer that can maybe produce quite as much guilt, maybe. We, we can all say, how many of you have ever said, man, I just wish that I prayed more, or I wish I knew how to pray better, right? And and most of you didn't raise your hands, and Brady would say a bunch of liars. I'm not, I would not say that. I would never say that to you all, but Pastor Brady would call you a bunch of liars. Um, I think that that's, that's something that we could all admit to, right? That we don't, we don't always either understand how to pray, or life gets busy, and it, it becomes something that we don't always do, and we should do it more. And, um, and so I, I, I think it's, it's interesting that when we when we do start thinking about our prayer life, that um, maybe life, maybe our life and our, what's happening in our life, our circumstances, can make it difficult to approach prayer. For instance, um, 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago now, many of you know our, our story, Katie and my story of infertility and struggling with um, just not being able to have, have children. And of course, you all know that we went on to adopt four kids in a year's time and I don't know why we did that but we did that 
But in the middle of that season of our life, I remember thinking to myself especially, what, what is it that I'm not doing right that God is not giving us children? Have you ever been in a situation where you wonder, if, if I was doing something differently, if I was praying something differently, maybe God would provide the answer, or maybe God would provide the result that we're looking for, and maybe that's the part of the problem, is we don't know what it is we should be looking for, right? I remember thinking, you know, things like, am I not praying enough? Do I not pray well enough? Um, does he not hear me? Does he not hear us? Um, do we not love God enough? And maybe if, if you really get serious about it, maybe you even say, does God not love us? That question, that doubt, that concern that you put in, that gets in your mind and, and just gets us to really start to doubt who we are as Christians and our relationship with the Lord. And you know what? God's a big God, so that's okay. But I would say that maybe prayer is what turns our hearts around. And that's, not, that's all, all sometimes an abstract idea. But I love what the Lord says in this, in this passage of Scripture. So wherever, my, my, what I would like to say to you as we get into this is, regardless of where you are, prayer, prayer is most of the time the answer, if not all the time the answer to what it is that's going on in life. I love Charlie Freeman and I don't know where he's sitting. There he is back there. Every Sunday morning, he stops Pastor Brady before the service starts, and he prays. And he always says that he, was, he used to be a pastor. He always says, I don't know that I could have gone into a worship service without praying first. And it seems so routine or obvious. But this morning, because I'm the one preaching and because Brady's not here, he pulled me aside and he said, let's let's pray for the service and he prayed for the sermon and there's something about listening to people pray have you ever been in that situation you're like wow that person just he's got a much closer connection with God than I do <laughs> you know have you thought that it's but there's something about prayer that just changes things and uh, so it's I, I hope that we can see that in the Lord's prayer this morning the aim is this as we get into it effective prayer happens when we seek the Lord with our whole heart. Let me say that again. Effective prayer happens when we seek the Lord with our whole heart. Again, it's not a formula, although it's important that we know the Lord's Prayer, I would say. But it's more about the heart of the person doing the praying. And that's where we're going to get at. And this, this aim actually comes from a scripture that I found in my study in Deuteronomy 4.29 that says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul that's a promise there really seek the Lord with your whole heart and your whole soul and he's going to hear you let's, uh, let's read the passage this morning and then we'll jump into some points starting in Matthew chapter 6 verse 9 it says pray then like this our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, 
Jesus, just as we said already, Jesus has been getting to the heart of the matter of many of the topics that he discusses, and this is not really any different. At the opening of chapter 6, Jesus is talking about two separate things. First, giving to the needy, and then secondly, prayer. And both of these topics are key to what it is to look like to serve and to be in relationship with the Lord. But I just want to quickly, before we get into the Lord's Prayer, just provide some context. When Jesus talks about these two things, he takes for granted the fact that we do as Christians pray. In other words, nothing about the Lord's Prayer matters if we don't pray at least a little bit. He also takes for granted that we, as Christians, consider the world around us, that we give to the needy. Oak Grove sends every few months a team to Beautiful Feet Homeless Ministries, and we serve the, the homeless ministry there. But here's what I would say is what Jesus is getting at is the heart. In other words, it's not the act of giving or praying. It's the manner and the heart in which we do it. He says if somebody gets up on a platform and prays all this long prayer with this high vocabulary and he's seeking the attention that comes from his seminary degree, then at the end of the day, he's already received his reward. Our Father sees in secret, verse 6 says, so for us, we, he, he's trying to teach us that it's the heart of the prayer. I, I studied three different people for this sermon. Alistair Begg, many of you know who Alistair Begg is, a, one of my favorite preachers out there. And then two theologians and commentators, Glenn Scrivener and J.C. Ryle. I'm going to quote several of them this morning. Here's the first one from J.C. Ryle about Matthew chapter 6. In all our duties, whether giving or praying, the great thing to be kept in mind is that we have to do with a heart-searching and all-knowing God. Everything like formality, affectation, or mere bodily service is abominable and worthless in God's sight. Now let me clarify. What he is saying here is that he doesn't need our worship. Do you understand that? God doesn't need what we do here on Sunday morning. He desires it, but he doesn't need it. In fact, that's what makes the heart of the person so important to him. Ryle goes on to say, He takes no account of the quantity of money we give or the quantity of words we use. The one thing at which his all-seeing eye looks is the nature of our motives and the state of our hearts. It's important, the condition of our heart. So let's jump into um, the Lord's Prayer, if you would. We're going we're gonna to break it down line by line. I'm not a good Baptist preacher who gives you three points, and they're all alliterated. We're going to go line by line by line real quick. And if you'll listen quickly, uh, we'll move quickly. Point number one, to whom we are to pray, our Father in heaven. Let me just give some context here. He's talking to the Jews who, when they pray, they pray to God the King, Yahweh God. I am. In fact, they couldn't even say Yahweh. If you know that, if you know anything about that, you know that it had no vows. They couldn't even say Yahweh. So for Jesus to say, pray our Father, was to insinuate an informality between them and the God to whom they, he is saying to pray. That would make no sense. And Jesus is saying our Father, which means it's not just his Father as the Son of God. He's, he's saying we as Christians have a father to pray to. And then there's several scriptures that I've got on the screen here. John 1, 12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And Paul, speaking to the Athenians in Acts 17, said, in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. 
It's important to note that we are not just praying to a holy God, but we are praying to a God who desires to hear from his children. But it does go on, number two, acknowledging God's name. Hallowed be your name. That's not a word we use very often anymore. Hallowed be your name. In the Greek, and I'm not going to attempt to say the, ro- the word. I wrote it down, but I'm not going to say it. But in the Greek, it says to make holy, to purify or consecrate, to set apart, to count as special, something to which one should be devoted and committed. Jesus is teaching us to pray to our Father, but he's doing so reminding us that his name should be regarded as sacred, holy, special, set apart, especially in our hearts. We have a Father in heaven who wants to hear from us, but he is God, and we are not. So when we pray to him, acknowledging his name, hallowed be your name, we are acknowledging that he alone is the one who can answer our prayers. David Foster Wallace says this, and, and he's talking about worship specifically, but I would just say what he's trying, what I, the heart of what I'm getting at here is we all have something that we worship, and if we don't remember who it is that God is and keep our lives in perspective and in check, then I think we lose focus on who it is that we're praying to. David Foster Wallace says this, there is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. The question is what you hold in life as important and set apart for your time and your focus and your worship. Speaking to the God and creator who alone is worthy to be praised, we do, we we acknowledge who he is, and by doing so, we acknowledge his place in our lives. And maybe I, I should jump around on the platform more often, but isn't that, isn't that exciting that we have a God that, even in my monotone voice, <laughs> we can approach, and he's God, the creator, and yet he allows us to approach him and to pray. Anytime we want to. Anytime we want to. I don't know, that's... It's all inspiring, really, and, and we don't, I don't think we could thank him enough. Let's go to the next point. Number three, acknowledging God's kingdom, your kingdom come. Alistair Begg, he did a whole sermon series on just the Lord's Prayer, and how I'm breaking it down line by line today, he did it line by line for a whole sermon series. And when he got to your kingdom come, he broke it down in the good pastor way of three points. And the first point was conversion. If you want to talk about his kingdom come today, the easiest way to see that is to see people's lives changed and converted to Christ become Christ followers and that doesn't just happen that happens from us as Christians doing that sharing the gospel today you want to see his kingdom come we see life after life after life come to know Jesus that's conversion then number two he said submission once we are in the kingdom we are conformed by submitting to the king conformed to his image by submitting to the king once we are Christians we can't continue to look like the world if we want to see his kingdom come then we need to look different we need to act different right and then the third point he says is consummation and if you know Alistair Begg at all you know his accent and the way he just has a way of saying things so I wrote this down how he says it I'm not going to try it in his accent obviously but he says this we are praying this is consummation we are praying for that day to be fully realized 
the day when Jesus will come in a flash and with trumpets blaring fully announcing his kingdom coming to earth the souls of the dead will come with him and meet their bodies their new bodies in the air those who are alive in Christ will rise to join them and the kingdom will be fully consummated on that the greatest day those who believe in Christ will ever know the next line is acknowledging God's will your will be done on earth as it is in heaven there's two things I want to say really quickly first of all to know God's will is to acknowledge that we should know him and then follow him and we can't do that unless we get to know him so while we're talking about prayer I would just like to take a short pit stop and say you can't even really pray effectively unless you know who it is you're praying to you need to know who the Lord is and you need to get to know him better and then after you know him you need to follow him you can't know the will of God in your life if you don't follow him and that happens first by seeking after and knowing him but the second point that I want to say about God's will is we acknowledge that our lives are not about us self-centered prayers which if you're honest with yourself tends to happen a lot that's just the natural way of things we pray about what's happening in our lives we pray about the people that are immediately around us and that's important God wants to hear those things but I would just say the heart that we have that when we approach him if we're seeking after God's will if we want to know the heart of God then it changes how we pray if we seek after God's heart then it changes what we ask for it changes how we ask there's a verse that says that we can boldly approach the throne of God we sang that song before the throne of God above we can approach him boldly if we seek after his will and after his heart it's pretty simple to say that but I think we just need to remember that we can't do any of that if we don't know him first so we need to be intentional about that then Glenn Scrivener breaks down the next three lines into three of course three points that's a kind of a theme I guess and the first point is this concerning our needs give us this day our daily pr bread he calls it daily provision let me just say here I, I've got a, a rather large family and sometimes you wonder it doesn't matter how much money you make they just continue to eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and eat is the pantry ever going to be full enough to keep up with the amount of food that they eat right I think we take for granted as Americans especially that there's restaurants on every corner there's fast food to go get there's grocery stores everywhere and we take for granted that yeah our pantries can be full but Jesus here is saying that we need to ask daily for bread. In the Old Testament, if you know your Old Testament, you know in Exodus, the Hebrew people, not formally the Israelites yet, they haven't made it to the promised land. The Hebrew people, God's people, are in Egypt in captivity. God works in the life of Moses, leads him to get the people out of Egypt. They get across the Red Sea. They make it to Mount Sinai. God gives uh, Moses the Ten Commandments he comes down he sees them in idolatry and they've already lost their way even though God did massive miracles in, in their midst as a result they are told they have to wander the wilderness for 40 years um, in fact they go so far as to say that certain generations are not even going to see the promised land there's going to be the next generations who are going to be able to do that to enter into the promised land even Moses doesn't get to go to the promised land but when they're wandering the wilderness haven't reached home yet there's dangers on every side of them there's uncertainty of when they're going to eat 
where they're going to sleep and the Bible goes out of its way to say that they prayed for manna from heaven they prayed for in our context daily bread and when they prayed they prayed for every need to be met and they prayed for that day and God gave that day's worth of food and everything they needed then the next day they would pray again and he would give them that day's worth of food and stuff to survive and then the next day and so on and so on and so forth we should do that too right we shouldn't assume that we're going to have everything that we need tomorrow and Jesus is saying give us this day this day we just want enough food for today we just want enough heat in 28 degree weather to survive in our homes right that's silly but it's you know we're asking for our daily needs to be met then he goes on and he says we're concerning our sins daily pardon forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors this should almost be a given too when we as Christians ask for forgiveness we're not saying Jesus has to be hung on the cross every time we've been, we're asking for forgiveness but we are saying and acknowledging that we are not perfect that we're always until that day as we've said where God's kingdom comes and we get to live in, perf in perfect bodies and we're no longer sinful up to this point right now even as Christians we are going to sin you know that and Jesus has put this right in the heart of the prayer he said forgive us our debts and it's kind of an insinuation of daily pardon Lord I've, I've, I've sinned again I've sinned again I've sinned again please forgive me but then it's key that he goes on from there and he says not only forgive me but help me to forgive those who have wronged me Gwen Scrivener in this outline says should we be so hypocritical as Christians to request that God forgive us and then not forgive those who have wronged us that's hard though isn't it I mean some, some of us we can struggle with, with uh, issues of forgiveness we struggle to reconcile our human emotion with the calling of God to forgive others right but Glenn Scrivener says don't be so hypocritical as to be asked for forgiveness and then uh, not forgive others in fact Jesus at the end of the Lord's Prayer if you go back to the, the last couple of verses he goes back to that, that line and he says if you forgive others your Father in Heaven will forgive you if you don't don't, ex don't expect to be forgiven it's that important to Jesus that he goes back to that line at the end of the Lord's Prayer and he says if you want to be forgiven you better forgive those who have wronged you and we live in a world where you're, we're constantly wronged or, or we're constantly at, at unease and there's always things happening in our lives. We, we need to be forgiven and those around us need to be forgiven. It's, it's important enough to Jesus, he circles back to that. Paul writes this in Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Then the prayer goes on, concerning our weaknesses and dangers, daily protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me just make two notes. First, we know that God does not tempt us to sin. If you go to James chapter 1, I believe it's verse 13, it says that God doesn't tempt us. But when we pray this prayer, we also are acknowledging that temptations are going to come. And when we pray this prayer, we're not saying... God, absolve me of all those things. Save me from all those things. Don't ever let temptation happen because it's going to happen. But what, he, what we are praying is, don't allow me, Lord, to be led into the power of temptation and that would eventually cause me to fall. Help me 
guide me through those things because the world is going to throw everything at us, right? Doesn't matter the age that you are. Doesn't matter where you are and what season of life that you're in. Temptation is going to come. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Back to that, that analogy or that story, really. In the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew people are wandering in the, in the wilderness. And as I said, there's dangers everywhere, uncertainty. They don't, don't know what's going on. They haven't made it to the promised land. And aren't we much like that today? As Christians, we're not home yet. And the world we live in right now is after everything that we are and that we believe in. So we should not just assume that God's just going to take care of it. In fact, we don't know. We know that he protects his people, but it, we shouldn't assume. The Bible is saying here, we need to pray for protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some translations go further and say, deliver us from the evil one. We pray and acknowledge that there is a lion that's out there seeking to devour. Prince of the power of the air who's seeking to influence us and to lead us astray. The last point that I would like to mention is, is, well, declaring the praise due his name. If you go back, um, when, I was, when I was growing up, you, in the KJV, you had the for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen, right? Um, manuscripts that, were, that, were, that have been found that were written much, much earlier did not include that line. And so it wasn't put here. But many of you who have your ESV Bible in front of you, if you go down to the footnotes, it'll show that line. And it'll say some manuscripts have included this. A lot of theologians believe it became something that was tradition. But I do want to address it because it's pretty appropriate to ending this prayer, right? These words are a declaration of our belief that everything that was made belongs to God. It's a declaration of our belief that everything that we have prayed can only be answered by God. It's a declaration of our belief that we can do nothing on our own. And as a result of his working in our lives and his spirit moving amongst us, he alone deserves the praise, the honor, and the glory forever. Amen. So the question becomes really simple. Do we desire the things which Christ has taught us to ask for in the Lord's Prayer? Um, if you watch movies or TV or you read books, and you, especially action movies, you'll see some... Um, some, sometimes scenes where somebody's scared they're going to die and they do the Holy Cross thing and then they start reading the Lord's Prayer, reciting the Lord's Prayer, and they say it over and over and over as if it's going to save them. But it's, it's great. They know it. But I, what I'm hoping that you get here is that it's more than just reciting the lines. In fact, effective prayer only happens when we seek the Lord with our whole heart. Um, Alistair Begg, in conclusion of one of his sermons for the Lord's Prayer, said this, and I, I wrote it down. I want to say it exactly as he says it. It's a poem of sorts or a spoken word. Just listen to this. It says, I cannot say our Father if I live in spiritual isolation. The word our. If you know me at all, you know that I'm very introverted, and I'd be okay if I wasn't hanging out with any of you. But that's not what God's Word calls us to, Right? Our Father, I cannot say our Father if I live in spiritual isolation. 
I cannot say father if I do not demonstrate my relationship in daily living. I cannot say in heaven if I'm so occupied with this earth that I'm laying up no treasure in heaven. I cannot say hallowed be your name if I do not honor him in word and life. I cannot say your kingdom come if I don't do all that I can to hasten its coming with the great commission. I cannot say your will be done if I am in resentment of or disobedient to his will for me. I cannot say on earth as it is in heaven if I am not prepared to devote my life to his service. I cannot say give us this day our daily bread if I am living on past experiences when I need fresh supply. I cannot say forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, listen, if I harbor a grudge against anyone. I cannot say lead us not into temptation if I deliberately place myself in a position to be tempted. I cannot say deliver us from evil if I am not prepared to fight in the spiritual realm with the weapon of prayer. I cannot say for yours is the kingdom if I do not afford the king a disciple of obedience to loyal service. I cannot say and the power if I am content to live a weak and powerless life. I cannot say, and the glory, if I am seeking glory for myself. I cannot say forever, if my horizon is bound by the things of time. And I cannot say, amen, unless I am pouring out the desire of my heart. <clears throat> Here's what I'd like to do. Um, Brady always concludes by saying that we're going to enter into a time of response, and we're going to do that. What I would like to ask before we do anything is that nobody leaves the room. Can I just tell you, sometimes I get up here, and maybe this is a little too blunt, but sometimes I get up here and I start playing, and I'm like, where are you going? You know, the response time is probably one of the most important times of the service because it's where we respond to the teaching of God's Word. Doesn't have anything to do with what I said, really, but hopefully what the Spirit is doing inside of your hearts or those that we are in here in the room with. So I would ask that you don't leave. But I would also ask this. We've just talked about the Lord's Prayer. So I think it would be appropriate that we pray. Um, Carla, if you would, I've got some, some prompts that I'd like to put on the screen. Here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to be up front. I'm going to have a couple prayer partners come up. Don't rush the stage necessarily. We don't need all of you. Here's what I would like for you to do is maybe just for three or four minutes gather in or if you need to do it by yourself or if you'd like to come and if you have questions about salvation or if you need have questions about our church I would love to pray with you or to talk with you but what I would really love to see is as a church Oak Grove family to pray with one or two others maybe gather together with a few people maybe use the, the stuff on the screen as a prompt and pray together for just a, just a few moments the worship team's going to come up in a minute and they're going to to lead us in grace so marvelous again and as you finish up, stand and join them, and then we'll conclude our service. But I would just ask that you take it seriously for a moment. We're praying. We're praying to our Father in heaven, but he is a holy God. And I think it's important that as a church we pray together. Can we do that? Find a two or three people or a group. If you have something specifically to pray for, to share it. And as you finish up, join us and let's sing a song together, okay? Let's pray together.